Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. And so over the last several years, my uncles have gotten into the Ancestry.com thing. Anybody into the Ancestry.com, like tracing back your, your family roots, your family heritage? So they wanted to know where they came from. It's an interesting thought, an interesting question. They, they did all the research and started digging and digging and connecting leaves, I guess is what they do online. You connect your leaf to someone else's and you start tracking your family history back. And they, they actually traced and traced and found out like our great, great, great grandfather was adopted. So we thought the end of the lineage would stop there. Then they found out he was adopted by a blood relative. So we can keep going back from there. And as they dug and dug and dug, they eventually discovered that our family lineage goes back to the Jamestown colony. Like we're part of the original Jamestown colony. And they were so excited about it. They got these pins. They sent all their documentation to the Jamestown society, got these pins that they proudly wear and certificates. They're like, you want to jump in on this? I was like, I got a bunch of kids and I got life going on. I'll get in it later maybe, but they, they're super proud of this. So they, they love the idea of tracing their roots back to something because there's this innate desire in all of us to know where we came from, right? There's something comforting and, and reassuring about knowing your, your family bloodline, where you, where you started from, where your heritage is. See, so we were, we're asking these questions. When you start back at the beginning, it helps you know how to move forward. This is funny. After uh, my, my uncles have been jumping in this ancestry thing, but before my grandparents passed away, my grandmother, if you knew her, she's like a Southern belle. I'm going to try to do her accent. Hey, child. That's how she talked. Hey, child. And so she was absolutely certain that her bloodline came from royalty. She would like whisper to us, listen, y'all, I come from royalty. That's what I come from. I am so, we're like, do you have any evidence? She's like, nope, I just know it. And now your grandfather, his family's a bunch of miscreants and vagrants and criminals. I know it. I just know it. Do you have any evidence? No. My uncles did the research. They actually traced her back, back over to Europe. Her bloodline has French and English kings and queens in it. And my grandfather is full of criminals. <laughs> People are in jail. One of my great, 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 great grandfathers shot a dude, went to prison. My grandmother, she's with Jesus now, but she was right. I know it, y'all. Child, I'm royalty. Alyssa, I, I don't know if, if you traced your family back what your bloodline would look like. Maybe if you traced your family back, you, yours would look more like my grandmother, like royalty, like everything's good. You've got a heritage of, of awesomeness that you can sort of build on. Maybe your bloodline looks more like my grandfather's and you got some mess and you got some stuff and some shame and some messed up in the past of your family heritage. Here's the good news. Whatever your family heritage is, we all share the same origin. Listen, we all I don't care what color your skin is, your socioeconomic level, your political party. We all go back to an origin story. No matter what your actual earthly family bloodline is, we all go back to the same place. You see, over the next 14 or so weeks, we're starting with our origin story. We're starting from the very beginning. In fact, we're going to be in Genesis 1, verse 1, page 1 of your Bible, and we're going to march through the narrative of our early family stories and history in Scripture. And we're going to be marching through the early stories that are our origin story. 
And listen, this is much bigger than a weekend gathering. This is not just about the weekends, not just about gathering at 12 Stone Home. There is more to this. You see, part of what we're committed to as a church is helping you reestablish spiritual leadership in your home. Like, it's not just about you show up here, we, we, we pour into your kids in, in our awesome children's ministry and middle school and high school ministry. This is also about you reclaiming the mantle of spiritual leadership in your home. And maybe you got young kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, maybe you're an empty nester. You still have a home that you're responsible to lead. And we want to help give you the tools because, listen, as I talk to specifically dads about how do you lead your family spiritually, there's this insecurity in us. You might be brilliant in the boardroom, but you're sheepish at the kitchen table leading your family spiritually. Because you just go, I'm not worthy of that. I don't, know, I don't know what to say. Listen, over the next 14 weeks, we are going to get intentional and strategic to equip you and give you the tools you need, dads, moms, heads of household, to actually pour into your kids and your family spiritually. Here's what that's going to look like. Why are we doing this? Because we want to partner with families in having spiritual conversations in your home. We made a commitment as a church to pour into the next generation, and this is part of how we're going to actually play this vision out. So what are we going to do? We're using the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the devotion that I actually use with my kids. It's a little ripped up now, so don't judge me. This is one of the devotions we've used over the years with our kids, and we're literally using the first 14 stories in this that align with the stories of Scripture as our narrative for the next 14 weeks. So as we teach on the weekend, the same thing is what you're going to read with your family in the week, and we're going to give you a devotional guide based on the age of your kids to march through these 14 weeks with us. So as you're listening in a weekend, you're listening with two ears. You're listening for yourself. God, what do you have for me? And then secondly, you're listening for your kids, for your family, because it is important that your kids hear you talk about your relationship with Jesus. Not just that they hear me, a pastor, talk about it, or their small group leader in kids ministry or middle school or high school. It's important they hear you. Part of your calling as a parent as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father. And so we're going to be jumping into this. At the end of the service across our campuses, we're going to be distributing these to one per family through the whole series. If you're watching online or at 12 Stone Home, we'll send you the link so you can actually go online and order those, and they'll be at your house quickly. Make an investment in your family. The next 14 weeks are a strategic time for us as a church. Not just to gather on the weekends, but to bring these spiritual conversations from our sanctuaries into your kitchen table. And we believe God's going to do mighty things among us. So before we jump into the teaching, I want to pray for us today. And we're going to jump in. So would you pray with me? So Jesus, there's no one like you. We just got done singing this. Jesus, you are king over all. And God, as we start back in our origin story, Holy Spirit, we give you permission right now to speak into our lives. I don't know where you're at spiritually, but maybe if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're not, even if you're here with doubts and you've got questions, maybe you just whisper under your breath, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak to me. Just tell him. As we sit in Genesis 1, would you speak to us? Would you shape us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? And then God, when we take what you teach us here and bring it into our homes, would you meet with our families? Would you grow our families up? And would we be a people that don't just hear your word on the weekends, but lead it out in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're excited for where we're headed, but we're going to start here. How was the Bible written? If we're going to be sitting inside of the sort of first several books of the Old Testament, the first couple chronological books here, we have to understand how it was written. It was written by 
around 40 authors. And these authors were divinely inspired, meaning God helped them pen the words of Scripture given to us. This is not just a random dude being like, hey, I found this. I'm going to write this down. It's God speaking through them and them writing it. And God sovereignly walking through the writing of Scripture. 40 different authors. It started all the way back in Genesis, the first chronological book. And that moves all the way to Revelation, the last book we have, talking about things that are yet to come. And in the dead center of Scripture is the pivotal moment. The crux of all of Scripture is the person of Jesus. It's why we sing about him so much. And we're going to get to that part of the story. But Jesus at the center. But here's what's fascinating about Scripture. The amount of cross-references inside of Scripture is fascinating. See, inside of Scripture, there are over 63,000 cross-references. Here's what I want you to see. Each of these lines represents a single Scripture. And the length of the line is determined by how many times it's referenced in Scripture. And so all these lines cross-reference inside of each other. The Bible is built in such a way that every verse is dependent upon another verse. And every thought is dependent upon another thought. And people say, why is the Bible deep? Because you could trace any one of these lines for years. You'll never get to the end of the richness and depth of Scripture. It's a beautiful thing. This book was written intentionally with a macro thought in mind. God was weaving a narrative through all of Scripture. And today's verse, Genesis 1-1, is actually referenced over 61 times throughout all of Scripture. It would be one of the longer lines on this graph. Genesis 1-1 was referenced 61 times. And today we start all the way at the beginning, back in Genesis 1, verse 1. Now, why was the book of Genesis written? See, most scholars believe that the book of Genesis was written by Moses. In fact, most people believe that Genesis, or Genesis, that Moses wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Scripture. Well, well known and throughout church history, it's believed that Moses was the author. And it's also believed that Moses wrote these first five books, specifically the book of Genesis, while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. See, if you know scripture, it's after they were, they were released from slavery from Egypt and they got part of the Red Sea and now they're in the desert and now they're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And as these people are wandering, they have questions. What are we doing here? Like, God, what is the plan for all this? What are you doing with all this? This book was written for people who were wandering. See, what God wanted to do was to give purpose and clarity to a people who were wandering. See, if if you're sitting in earshot of this teaching, listen to me, you're wandering somewhere. Over the last two years, we've all wandered all over the place. You do marriage long enough, and eventually you're wandering. You do job and career long enough, eventually you're wandering. You finally get what you wanted, you strained for for decades, you finally get it, and you'll realize I'm starting to wander. See, do you do anything long enough, and there's some wandering inside of us? And for us today, Genesis was written to center people who are wandering. And maybe what God wants to do today and through these next 14 weeks is to center us as a people where we've been wandering. Here's the question we're asking and answering today. Where do I come from? It's a simple question, and yet it's profound. Where do I come from? What's my origin story? Most of us know our birth parents. Why well, come from Dan and Shelley Berry? Yes, but there's a more profound story that we all come from. And so we're going to start inside of Scripture with the first words of Scripture in Genesis 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God. Stop. 
in the beginning, God. See, here's what we have to realize. Genesis is not the beginning of God. It's just the beginning of us. Don't miss this. Genesis 1 is not the creation account of how God was created. It's the, it's the account of how we were created. God always was. God was never appointed, elected, or selected. God always existed. If you go back as far as you can go, all you can do is bump into God. He existed before time and will exist for all of eternity. Listen, until you acknowledge the author of life, you will wander in every arena of your life. See, Genesis 1.1, everything hinges on these first four words. In the beginning, God. He always existed. And if you stumble on this, the rest of the Bible doesn't make any sense. Like until you recognize God is creator, God is in control, God always was, the rest of scripture doesn't even make any sense. You're going to stumble everywhere else in scripture. Nothing else is going to make sense until this does. And this theme is echoed through all of scripture. It starts in Genesis 1, but all the way in the end in Revelation, here's what it says in Revelation 1.8. I am the alpha and the omega. That's the first and last letter of their alphabet. Says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the almighty. It's declaring from the beginning of scripture all the way to the end. God always was. God is currently. God always will be. There is no one like our God. Through the creation story, we have to pause it in the beginning, God. It's before creation, there was God. There always was God. No one created him, elected him, selected him, or appointed him. He always was. So let's add one more word to this verse. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created I promise we're not going to do word by word through the whole book of Genesis. It'll take us 18 years. We're not going to do that. But in the beginning, God created. Created is the first verb in all of recorded history. Isn't that cool? The first verb is the word created. And we're going to walk through, like if you went to Sunday school, you might have learned this. We're going to walk through the seven days of creation. And maybe as you're doing family devotions this week, you might walk back through this and just remind your kids, here's the knowledge biblically of what God did in the order he did it. And I want you to, to sort of hear how this plays out. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then on day one, he said, let there be light. Let there be light. And God started time in this moment. He said, let's call the light day and the darkest night. And that was the end of the first day. And God said, it was good. And then the second day, it says this in Genesis 1 verse 6, let there be an expanse from the water. So God made expanse and separated the water from the sky and the water above it. And God called the expanse sky. God created the earth and the sky on the second day. And he said it was good. And the third day, what God created, he separated the earth from the water. And he created all the plants, all the vegetation on this earth. And he said it was good. Then on the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and all the stars in the universe. When, you, when you're out under a campfire at night with no extra light from the city and you look up and see all those stars, God crafted those stars on the fourth day and he said it was good. Then on the fifth day, God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth. On the, on the fifth day, God created the birds in the sky and all the, the life in our oceans and seas and rivers and lakes. If you're a fisherman, just say, amen. That's where God created your thing. It's a beautiful thing. And then on the sixth day, God created the land animals from livestock to wild animals. He created all the things we see walking around from, from cows to horses to wolves, created all that stuff. And then he created the pinnacle of creation. Everything he created up to this point, he said, that's good, that's good, that's good. Then he created mankind, and he said, that is very good. 
The pinnacle of his creation was mankind. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And that was the first week. That was the, the first moments of time. God always existed, and then he decided to create. And that's the first seven days of creation. This is all of our origin story. This is where you and I, humanity, began. And you see, when you look at the creation account, you're given a peek into God's original intent for you, for me, for all of creation. And his original intent was goodness. His intent was to give us a perfect world. We walked in perfect relationship with him. No pain, no sadness, no sorrow, no brokenness, no chaos, no election cycles, none of those things. This is God's intent was perfection. Listen, whatever pain, loss, or hardship you're experiencing, that was not God's original intent. If you're going through a tough season and you're wandering, that was not God's intent. See, I say this because a lot of people wrestle with considering God, considering forgiveness through Jesus because they say, how can I follow a God who would create a world that's full of such chaos and sadness and hurt? Listen, that was not God's intent. God's not responsible for the pain, loss, and chaos in our world today. It'd be like if I gave you a toaster for Christmas, you're like, thank you. And then you plugged it in and jumped into a swimming pool. That wasn't my intent. You got shocked. I want to give you toast, not make you toast, right? Like you messed that up. God's saying, let that, my intent for this world was perfection. Because he's a good God. And next week we'll talk about why there's chaos, hurt, sadness, heartache, death. That was never his intent. See, but more than just God's intent, when you look at the creation story, you get a peek into God's nature and his character. Like when you see an artist paint something and sign their name, you can get a sense of the nature and character of the artist based on what they paint. And God painted this world, and you get a chance to look into his nature and character. And I could say a million things. Let me just say it simply here. God is creative and purposeful. Our God is creative and purposeful, almost like a right brain, left brain thing, right? Like if you're creative, you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. If you're not, you're like, let's get stuff in order and make things work. God is both of those things at once. He's creative and purposeful. Think about this. The first verb to describe our God, created. God, his first action was he created. Every sunset you've seen, God created. When you go to the beach and you're like, mm, beach life, it just does something. God created that for you. When you walk in the woods and go, oh, it's so beautiful. God created that. See, think about how creative you have to be in order to create a duck-billed platypus. Is it a duck? No. Is it a beaver? No. I don't know, but God created that. It's incredibly creative. It looks like a kid's drawing, right? Like it's creative. And God created ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. There was not a table of ingredients that God picked from. God spoke it into existence out of nothing. Think about how creative our God is. Like white piece of paper, and he goes, yeah, I got it. God is unbelievably creative. But more than just creative, God is purposeful. He didn't just Jackson Pollock this earth, flick a bunch of paintbrushes into that's beautiful art worth a million dollars. I don't get it, but cool. That's not what he did. He, he, didn't just, he didn't just bring creativity. He brought purpose to this earth. He was purposeful. Think about this. The moon gives us light at night, but it also causes the tides to come in and out. Think about the purposefulness in this. The earth is the perfect distance from the sun so as not to cook us or freeze us. Listen, the food chain, plankton, is eaten by little fish. 
Little fish are eaten by medium fish. Medium fish eaten by big fish. Big fish eaten by baby sharks. Eaten by sharks. And then small shark. Don't. Stop. Don't. No. I hate that song. It does something here. I need to ask forgiveness for it. You, you see the food chain. These smaller animals exist to feed the next. And eventually we get steak. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, God. So you think about the water cycle. That water is evaporated and purified. And then it, condensation happens in the cloud, and then eventually precipitation happens. And that's how our water cycle keeps getting clean, and we can have fresh drinking water. Someone had to create that. That just doesn't happen. See how purposeful God is. But listen, his most purposeful creation was humanity. He said it was very good. Think about just in your human body. You turn oxygen you breathe it in, put it in your blood and feed your organs. Then you breathe out carbon dioxide. What eats carbon dioxide? Plants. What do plants do? Create more oxygen. The beauty of his creation. See, our bodies were created with immune systems that when you have bacteria or a virus, your body fights it off like it's built in there. Your T cells attack and then antibodies are created. It's a beautiful system that God created. Our blood is pumped from our heart all over our body. Our bodies heal themselves from most wounds. Last week, I was in my backyard, and I was fixing something, and I was trying to jump over a, a mud puddle, and I jumped, and there's an exposed wire, and I caught my right foot, and I came down on my concrete patio on my knee. It swelled up like a tangerine. It was, it was the most physical pain I've experienced in a decade. It was my first time falling after turning 30. Y'all, it's different. <laughs> if I showed you my knee right now, it, is, it started out black and blue up here. If you get weird with blood, like cover your ears, 10 seconds. It's now the blood's draining down my leg and my body's starting to heal it. Whatever it does with the blood from the bruise, my, I'm watching my body heal itself. I didn't have to go get a leg amputation because God created with purpose so that my body would begin to heal itself. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at a, a miracle. So I got to give a time out because why are we bothering to give you this biblical knowledge? God created because your biblical knowledge transfers into biblical values and then your biblical values transfers into biblical decision making. It's not enough just to know it. We have to value it and then live it. So when I look at the creation story, I look and say the biblical knowledge is that God is creator. And if that's true, the value is this, that, that people are valuable to God. Human life is valuable to God, and therefore, if that's the value I base my life on, then the decision I make is, I'm pro-life. And here's, you hear that politically and go, that's a political, it's not political to us, this is biblical. If God's our creator, then life is sacred. There's sanctity in human life. And that's why we actually give towards crisis pregnancy centers and adoption agencies and foster care and jambos, because there's kids that maybe their parents don't want them, but God does. See, that's, you, you see how this biblical knowledge transfers to values, to decision-making. We don't just die on hills randomly or to appease political parties. We die on hills based on biblical truth. Here's what Genesis 1.26 says, and this is where we sort of anchor our biblical knowledge of why human life is sacred. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Listen, when God created, he created humanity in his own image. Therefore, every person walking this earth is an image bearer of God Almighty. I don't just randomly say people matter. Put me in traffic, and I actually think the opposite of that. But when I read the creation account, I say, I don't get to decide that. God did. I'm an image bearer of God, and so is every person that walks this earth. And think about how purposeful God was when he created. He created the male and the female. And between these two genders, procreation and childbirth happens. How did the human race continue for thousands and thousands of years? Because God created purposefully, intentionally, a man and a woman for them to get married and have kids. Do you see how purposeful God is in his creation? It's beautiful. See, God is purposeful and creative. And God is our creator. And listen, if, if you're taking notes, if God is our creator, then he alone is qualified to instruct his creation how to live. If God is creator, if Genesis 1-1 is true, if the first chapter of scripture is true, then he alone is uniquely qualified to tell us how we're supposed to live. See, I look in our culture and we have problems with authority. I have problems with authority sometimes. You might ask the question, what gives God the authority to tell us how to live? Why does God get to pick what's right and wrong? Because he created us. Parents, don't, don't pretend. Dads specifically. Don't pretend on Christmas morning after your kids open their presents. They're like, Daddy, put this together for me. And you're putting together your daughter's dollhouse. And you're 90% through the build. And you realize, I have way too many pieces left over for this point in the build, Right? You're putting together your son's bike. You're like, there's a lot of extra screws and I don't need these. What do you do? You go back to the instruction manual. See, my son Lincoln got a Lego set and these Lego sets these days are crazy. Like there are bags and bags to build this stuff. And so he's over there and it's on his iPad. The instructions are on iPads now for those that are older. It's no longer books, iPads, crazy. So he's going through and he's been in there for three and a half hours. And then I hear him just kind of crying gently at the dining room table. And I walk in, what's wrong, buddy? It's like, this won't go together. These pieces won't go together. And I'm like, well, I don't know how that works. You're supposed to be the Lego master. And he's like, I quit. I'm done. I said, no, stop. What do we have to do? We had to trace back the instructions to the point where he deviated. Because the Lego builder, the person who created this Lego set, knows better how the pieces are supposed to get, go together than I do. And what Genesis 1-1 screams is, listen, if God is creator, he uniquely has the authority to tell us how to live. He's not screaming from the cheap seats. He created us. <laughs> and you can't take the pieces that God created and disregard his instructions and expect your life not to just be full of wandering. See, maybe if you are wandering somewhere in your life, Perhaps it's because you've walked away from God's design and his instruction in you how to live. See, when God says, this is my way of doing marriage, men sacrifice, lay your life down like Jesus did for the church. Women respect, love, and honor. Listen, this is God's way of doing money. God owns everything, but the first 10% is his. So bring the tithe. 
God's way of doing work. You work for six, you rest for one day. God's way of doing work. God's way of doing forgiveness. Forgive as I forgave you. If God is our creator, he should have the loudest voice for how we live. And if you are wandering somewhere in your life, perhaps it's because you've deviated from the instruction manual and you're going free on those Legos. It ain't ever going to come together right. And maybe 2022 is the year you say, God, I'm getting back to your instruction manual. Because if you created me, if that's true, you are uniquely qualified to speak into how I live. Let me just challenge some of y'all who've like, yep, I get it. I believe you. It's not enough to know this. You have to do it. See, most of us are wandering, not because we don't know God's way of doing life, but because we're not actually doing it. Most of us stop at biblical knowledge and say, I'm, deep, I'm a deep Christian, I get it. And you never put it into your value system or your decision-making. Yeah, I know how marriage is supposed to be, but I'm not going to value that and do it. Well, then you're not deep. You're going to wander until you actually do it. See, Genesis 1-1 screams, God, you are the creator, and therefore you are uniquely qualified to tell us how to live. See, everything in scripture and life hinges on, in the beginning, God. And until you wrestle that down and bow to it, nothing else will make sense. You will wander. But there's one last truth that we have to understand about this creation account. And you're going to be tempted to be like, yeah, 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 don't. Here's the last thought. God created you. It's one thing to acknowledge God as creator. It's another to acknowledge God as your creator. It's one thing to know that dads exist in the world. That's great. But it's another thing to know your dad. Knowing dads exist is pretty cool. Knowing your dad is transformational. Acknowledging that God didn't just create however long ago. God created you. And once you embrace the fact that God created you, it gives you two things. Two profound things are established in your soul. And those two things are value and purpose. When you realize, I admit, God, you created me. He bestows upon you value and purpose. Here's, here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What is the psalmist doing? He is personalizing the creation account for himself. He's not just saying, God, you are a creator. He's saying, God, you are my creator. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me before I existed. God, you created me. And in recognizing that, it changes everything. See, when you understand that God created you, you have a value that no one can steal from you. I watch people chase their value all over the place. Through relationships, through career, through success, through climbing a ladder. And you're going to keep wandering in that chase for your value until you realize the value that is most important is the value placed on you because God created you. And when he created you, he assigns you value because he made you in, your, in his image. See, listen, when you see a piece of art, it's the signature on the bottom of the canvas that makes it valuable. I can make a Jackson Pollock and it's worth 10 bucks. When his name's on the bottom, it's worth millions. 
Why? Because the artist is what assigns the value. And when God created you, he gave you value. And secondly, he gave you purpose. He gave you value just innately in who you are as God's creation. But then he gave you purpose. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 139. Here's what he says. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Listen, that verse should cause us to sit in awe and wonder that the God of the universe created you on purpose with a purpose. He numbered your days. You are, you are on purpose from God. He gave you purpose. All of life feels like wandering until you recognize your creator. God chose you individually, created you exactly as he wanted you to be. And he instilled purpose in your life. Your days are numbered. You're here for the amount of days God already knows. Why? Because he has purpose for you to actually execute on for all the days he gives you. You have divine value and divine purpose. In the garden, God gave Adam immediately, like, here's your purpose. Here's why, you're, here's why you exist. Start to live this stuff out. In Genesis 2, he says to Adam, go, go in the garden, work the land, and take care of it. Then in Genesis 2.19, he says, name all the animals. Then in Genesis 1.28, God tells him, be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the earth. Adam is born with value. God's not born. Adam's created with value and then given purpose. And so are you. Listen, if you're wandering... Write this down. Divine value and purpose helps to resolve our wandering. When you recognize God as creator, and therefore if God is creator and you say, yes, God, you created me, you have value and purpose that helps to resolve the places we're wandering. See, you're not worthless. You're not a cosmic mistake. You're not a fluke. You're not an accident. You didn't exist because two parents decided to bring you in the world. You exist because the God of the universe said you. I want him. I want her. Over the course of the last couple years, we've turned to many things chasing our value and our purpose. And if you chase anything but all the way back to the origin story to the beginning, nothing will satisfy the craving for value and purpose like God. And our world wants to tell you the lie that there is no creator. Because the evil one knows <clears throat> that's the linchpin that everything else is built on. As soon as there is no creator, you no longer have value. You no longer have any divine purpose. So what you do in this life is live, laugh, and love until you die. And then you become ashes and dust and you... Whatever happens after that is what happens. But you got some 80 years here on this earth, whatever. You're just a clump of atoms and cells, and that's all that you are. And therefore, go pursue pleasure and joy anywhere you can find it. Go find value in other people. Make sure other people have to validate the things in you that you need validated. And if they don't, forget them. Who cares? That's all life is. It's just You're just a, a clump of atoms and cells and matter. But God has so much more for you. God sees you so different. See, during prayer yesterday, I had a distinct sense that the Holy Spirit asked me to say this. And so it might be for one person. If that's you, God loves you. You might have unresolved mommy, daddy issue things because you know your parents didn't want you. 
You were a mistake, an accident. You were born to a teenager out of wedlock and you were given up for adoption. I don't know. And inside of your soul, you've wrestled this value question and you look for it everywhere else. And what God wants to say to you this morning is, listen, I knew you in your mother's womb. I picked you. I gave you your value. Your value doesn't come from mommy and daddy. Your value doesn't come from what you do. Your value comes from who created you. And maybe right now the spirit of God would just in a moment like this, he'd just change the way you see yourself for the, your whole life. You struggle with this. Maybe in this moment, the Holy Spirit would say, you have value because of who your creator is. God, would you free people up from that? See, when you recognize who God is, he's your creator. You have unfathomable value purpose. See, here's how the Jesus Storybook Bible ends the creation story. I love it. It's foreshadowing the person of Jesus. God looked at everything he had made perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and the oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them. Always, whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was what the wonder, and so it was that the wonderful love story began. The love story of God to us began in the garden. And everything pivoted on the, the love story of Jesus coming to earth. See, if you don't understand your great value and purpose, why would Jesus step out of heaven and come to earth to rescue us? Because you have undeniable value and purpose, not because of anything you've done, but because who created you. See, here's what John 1, 1 to 5 says, and this is sort of the New Testament creation account. Like we said, it's all interconnected throughout all of scripture. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. Jesus was there at creation and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, who was there at creation and saw the perfection of what God created, was stepping out of heaven and saying, I want to go bring that back. I want to get back to God's original intent to reconcile us back to God. And if you need to understand how valuable and how much purpose you have, it's that Jesus left heaven to come rescue you. Unfathomable value and purpose. Moms and dads, your kids need to understand that God created them. They need to understand that as important as you parents were in the process, he picked them. And he instilled value on them that's bigger than their last name, that's bigger than your bank account, that's bigger than your parenting. The value God put in them. And it's important that your kids hear their earthly mom and dad talk about their heavenly dad. Why, why do we have our own kids? Why don't we just show up to church and no kid knows who their parent is? We all just sort of willy-nilly pour into it because it's important that my kids hear me talk about God. It's important that they hear me tell them God has given them value and purpose. The world wants to tell your kids they have to earn their value. 
The world wants to tell your kids there is no creator, so just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And God's going, no, church. 2022 is the year where we grab the reins of spiritual leadership, not just by showing up to church, but by sitting at a kitchen table. And you take what God has taught you today and you bring it into the life of your kids. The campus pastor are going to talk more about that at the end. Oh God, what would God do with a church full of parents and grandparents and church family that would own their responsibility to lead spiritually in the home? You know how to lead in the boardroom. You know how to lead in the classroom. What if God wants to awaken us to leading around the kitchen table, leading in the living room? See, we, we end where we started. Where do I come from? The pastors step up across our campuses and Pastor David gets ready for 12 Stone Home. Where do I come from? See, biblical knowledge tells us that God created everything. Maybe there's a new thought to you and you're wrestling down. What is, is there really an origin story? Listen, God created everything. The value that comes out of that is if God created me, then I have value and purpose. And also the people around me have value and purpose. And even your enemies have value and purpose because they bear the image of God. And the biblical decision is that, listen, if God is creator, he is uniquely qualified to tell us how to live. So my decision is to align my life to God's instructions for how to live. So pastors, would you pray that over our church today? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.